Welcome to the Lessons Learned Podcast, a podcast reflecting on the lessons we've learned and those we're still in the process of learning. I'm Komal, your host. I'm an interviewer, investor, and someone who has lived a lot of life in a short time. I built this podcast as a place for us to reflect, to be together, and to learn from one another. Let's get into it. Welcome to episode 34 of the Lessons Learned podcast. This is a very special episode of the show. I had the opportunity to interview Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP, a federal party here in Canada, the first person of color to be elected as the head of a federal party in Canada. And I got to interview him for my Lessons in Resilience series that I share every week on IGTV. And it was a powerful, profound, impactful conversation about identity, activism, how we can show up in politics as Black, Indigenous peoples and people of color, and so much more. So I want us to dive right into that conversation. But first, this episode is brought to you by me (laughs) and the Next Right Step program. So I am in the final stretch of our sales period for the Next Right Step, which is my five-week masterclass series in resilience and leadership. So over the course of five weeks, I'm going to be diving into the topics of work, wellness, impact and identity, community, and self-efficacy with some incredible thought leaders. And I can finally tell you who those thought leaders are. Lovey Ajayi Jones is going to be joining us for our community module. She is an incredible writer, speaker, troublemaker, professional troublemaker, as she names herself. And she is one of the creators of the Share the Mic Now campaign, which we saw go live during civil unrest in June when we were amplifying melanated voices and continue to. And Share the Mic Now was a campaign where prominent white women across Instagram gave their IG platforms, including Glennon Doyle Melton, Julia Roberts, Ellen, and so many others, to black women to take over for the day. And Lovey has been an activist for a long time, and I have adored her work and looked up to her in so many ways as I started to pave my own path with this show and so much more. So Lovey is going to be talking to our um, workshop attendees, our, our masterclass attendees on the topic of community. Deepika Mutiala is the founder of Live Tinted. For those of you watching on YouTube, Live Tinted is an inclusive beauty brand, and I am actually an investor in the company a very proud investor and Deepika is going to be talking to us about the concept of work and specifically how she rooted her brand in inclusivity and how she manages her workflow, her work days, her systems around work and wellness um, in how she works and scales her company and raised the money that she did for Live Tinted to scale and thrive. We're also going to be talking to Mina B, who is a therapist, also an activist, an incredible writer on Instagram, Um, and she is phenomenal. Her words have transformed the lives and hearts of so many, have helped make therapy so much more inclusive for folks, and has helped people feel so seen with her intersectional approach to supporting folks through mental health. And finally, Valerie Kaur, whose book, again, for those of you watching on YouTube, See No Stranger... Um, came out very recently and I got to see Valerie speak in Brooklyn back in 2016 and Valerie when she takes the stage like her as an orator it is something to behold 
And I got to see her speak about her sick heritage, her roots and her identity, and it helped anchor me in my own identity. And it gave me a taste of what it could look and feel like to be surrounded by folks who were rooted in their identity, who knew who they are to the core, and who show up in the world with those values and that integrity in place. So she's going to be talking to our cohort around the concepts of impact and identity. So I'm going to be teaching this masterclass alongside these four incredible humans who I'm going to interview week after week. And you guys know, I love interviewing. When you hear this Jugmeet interview, you like, this is what I do. It's my superpower. And then following those interviews, there's going to be interactive Q&A sessions with attendees. And then I'm going to lead an hour-long workshop each week around each of the pillars that uh, I've outlined with the Roots of Resilience. This is the course, the program the masterclass series that I wish I had when I was coming through my darkest days back in 2017. And it's a program that I wish I had when I was just going through transitional periods in my life. Uh, The community is going to be incredible. We've already got almost 30 folks signed up for the program. You're not going to want to miss it. There's limited spots left. So if this sounds mildly interesting to you, um, check out gomel.com and head to the masterclass page, gomel.com slash pages slash masterclass. And make sure you join this cohort. Sales end Monday, July 27th at midnight. You're not going to want to miss it, I promise. And I'm going to be offering this program in the future, yes, but never at this price ever again. So that ends our ad segment for this episode. Now let's jump into my interview with Jagmeet Singh. Welcome to the latest episode of Lessons in Resilience. Tonight, I'm going live with Jagmeet Singh. And we are talking all about community resilience, how we build resilient communities, and how we elevate together. I have been so moved by watching Jagmeet's career. I have been diving into his memoir, Love and Courage, (laughs) and learning so much about his journey, his experience, And when I think of seeing a sick man in his bug, in his turban, leading a political party in Canada, the first person of color to do so, I am so encouraged by the change that he is enabling others to see and the change that we are all witnessing together. As I wait for Jagmeet to join, I want to share a little bit about his roots in activism. When he was young, uh, throughout his career as he was going through law school, he was engaged in activism from a young age. He um, created, or his brother Gurvethan and his friend Amneeth created something called the Sick Activist Network. And the Sick Activist Network um, ended up becoming a place where young sick people in and around the Toronto area could root into and flourish in themselves and their lives, rooted in their own identity. And I remember when I heard about the impact of the Sick Activist Network and the careers of folks who came out of that space, me, growing up in Grand Prairie, Alberta, I felt so encouraged of the power of community, of rooting in communities of identity, of what it could look like if I didn't feel othered, of what it could look like if I had felt seen from a young age. So when I think of this conversation that we're going to have today as I wait for Jagmeet to join, I am so encouraged by what this young generation, Gen Z and younger and even young millennials, what we get to pick up from the changes he's made in his for others through his work and what we have all been able to witness um, 
about what it can look like to be so rooted in your identity and how that can help you show up in an even more powerful way. Hello, Jamie. <laughs> what is up? My how are you doing? Is off. I'm good, I'm good. What are you saying? <laughs> I am doing really well. I'm so pumped for us to have this conversation. Where in the where in Canada, not the world, are you today? I am in Ottawa, actually. Oh, welcome, welcome. Are you in Ottawa too? I'm in Carp, in the middle of nowhere, 20 minutes outside of town. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, I'm so pumped to have you here. We were going to originally do this conversation at the Ottawa Art Gallery pre-COVID times, but obviously we know what, what story unfolded. So I'm really happy to do it here. Um, I've been sourcing questions from my audience to see what we wanted to chat about today. And something that I'm in the midst of um, in my career is I talk a lot about a, a talk a lot about resilience and how we rise through adversity. And when I saw what went down in the House of Commons a few weeks ago and the way that the media talked about it after the fact, I was, I just knew I just wanted to talk to you directly about it because when I saw that I was moved to tears, especially in the words that you shared after the encounter in the House of Commons. And what a lot of people missed is that part of Robert's rules, part, part of parliamentary decorum is that apology or is that you were perhaps out of whatever the construct is around how we're supposed to behave in parliament but that apology was not something that so many of people color identified with so can you share what that experience was like in the house of commons and what it's been like since then to continue to stand up for those values and be honestly like my husband and i were talking about this is if it weren't for you to be a leader of a political party no one would have called out that racist act like it just wouldn't have happened and so you simply being there allowed that to happen. Thank you for, for the question. Thanks for, thanks for asking about it. Yeah, in the moment, it was, uh, it was kind of a, it was something I didn't plan. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it ahead of time. And it was, it was kind of the culmination of a lot of frustration. We had seen so many people take to the streets, you know, the thousands and thousands of Canadians. It wasn't just an American thing. There was a, a movement in Canada of people demanding Let's do something about systemic racism and policing. And then we'd seen all those, remember like all those horrible images of police brutalizing indigenous people, uh, racialized people being killed. All those things had happened in the, in the short span. After George Floyd, there were those types of deaths in Canada as well, where, where police brutally killed racialized people. And in that moment, thinking about you know, that, 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 that context, we had seen the prime minister take a knee at a protest. And I was kind of thinking, well, who is the prime minister protesting? Like, he is the one in, in control. He could actually immediately make changes. And so Surrounded this, by his security team all standing <laughs> up. Right, exactly, exactly. So we were in this moment where, you know, the prime minister was, I don't know who is protesting, and he has the power to make some changes. So the motion was to say, hey, let's just do something about it. Like, use of force, we know there's problems with use of force. We know there's problems with escalation of conflict. Police are trained to use aggressive voice commands put your hands up, put that away and just aggressive commands that don't really de-escalate if someone's got a mental health crisis, if someone's in a, in a health crisis in general, that approach, that aggressive, violent approach isn't gonna help that person get through that crisis. And so we put forward a motion saying here, here's some clear things that we can do. And um, in that moment, it, was, it was, looked like it was passing. It looked like that motion was gonna pass, which was a good thing. We're gonna force this, Liberal government to do something. They've got the power. Let's get something done. And then for one person to kind of say no, I was shocked. I looked back. I'm like, who's saying no to this? Like, 
everyone agrees that we have to do something. And then I just saw, you know, one MP kind of gesture like, no, no, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to support this. And it was that gesture of kind of dismissal, which to me characterized what systemic racism is. It's this idea that certain lives don't, don't matter. The black life has no value. Indigenous lives have no value. And I was just in that moment really angry and frustrated. And then to apologize for that, I thought it wasn't about me. Like I can apologize. I think it's important to apologize if you make a mistake, but it was, it was the frustration of so many people being like, no, we don't, we don't want someone to apologize for trying to stand up and call out racism. So it went beyond me and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't apologize because it would be a betrayal to all the people that, that have felt like they haven't mattered for so long. And so that's why I stuck to my guns on that one. And I appreciate that because it just reminded me of the power of activism and the power of standing up for our values, our integrity, and what we truly believe to be right in the world. And something that I've learned about you is that you come from a lineage of activists. And so your grandfather, Seva Singh, he was, he worked against British occupation. He was an activist of those times. So when you think of your career and where you are now and what it's rooted in in your lineage, how does that inspire you and motivate you in your activism now? Well, it's really cool that you, that you uh, kind of dug that up. That's something that I didn't really uh, talk about very much when I was initially in politics. Um, this is my great-grandfather. Okay. And um, it, it's, a, it's a really inspiring story. He stood up against uh, the colonialization, stood up against the monarchy, there was a, uh, a king that was pretty much in line with or in league with uh, the British in oppressing people. And so he resisted that, fought back against that, um, was a person of the people for sure. So I, I didn't really know a lot of that growing up though. So it was, it was really interesting to see some of the similarities with someone that I had never really grown up knowing about or, or having known about that story, but still similarly having a fight. One of the really unique things, I think, that, that is just an interesting story, it kind of makes like an interesting novel storyline, was that uh, he fought a, a king to fight for the people. And years later, a descendant of that king is now uh, a chief minister, or kind of like a premier of Punjab. And I'm a leader of a political party here. And that chief minister still is representing like the ruling class, the elite, and, and was, you know, calling me out for my stance on standing up for human rights. So it kind of seemed to be like that same continuance of that fight. You know, I was always been for the people and I'm still fighting for the people. And, and I guess, you know, that, that same lineage of being an elite, being wealthy and powerful and wanting to protect that elite power is what the current chief minister is doing. So it's an interesting parallel, which, it's a bit of a surprise in the sense that it's not something I, I grew up knowing, but there is an interesting um, symmetry to that, that I just worked out that way. Yeah, I feel like that would make an incredible movie, in fact, and <laughs> we'll keep it on deck for, for maybe Oscar worthy <laughs> one day. Um, so something else that you were a key part of, along with your brother Garethan and his friend Amit, was an organization called the Sikh Activist Network. And being a Punjabi young woman who grew up in Grand Prairie, Alberta, in the middle of the country, <laughs> Uh, countryside in Alberta, I was so taken when I saw what came out of the Sikh Activist Network, this community of young people rooted in their identity, in their faith, in who they are. 
and what took off from there. So we have Rupi Kaur, who came out of the Sikh Activist Network and being supported. And I, when she tells me the story of her first spoken word poetry night and everybody coming around her and pumping her up before she went on stage and then looking at the trajectory of her career to humble the poet and his roots coming from that space as well, to Kay Ray, to Jess Rain, the, it's, it's limitless. What do you think the role was of rooting into identity, into who we are, that enabled the growth of so many powerful sick people in the world right now? Well, thanks for reminding me. That's, it is amazing. Like, these are folks that I know and I, and I, I get to connect with regularly. But it is true. Like, those are all folks that were kind of, it was kind of an incubator for, for a lot of talent. But I think the reason was, in a lot of ways, people um, don't believe in who they are and feel a little inferior because of the color of their skin, their name, where they come from. And that sense of not belonging also translates into sense of being less than. There's something wrong with you because of who you are. So one of the fundamental parts of it was to say, no, don't apologize for anything. You are who you are and love that and celebrate that. Love the color of your skin, where you come from, the language you speak, the language your parents spoke. And, and that kind of, that, that internal courage of embracing yourself, I think is a big part of the creative spirit. You've got to love yourself and embrace yourself to be able to truly create and, and put yourself out there to the world, to expose yourself to the world. In a lot of ways, artists and people who are creators are, are very vulnerable because they're putting themselves and their art out there. To do that, you have to have a lot of love for yourself and, and give yourself that grace and space and, and kind of like hug yourself. So that's a big part of it was just creating that loving space and that and building out this sense that you you are you have an inherent value that you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else that inherently there's something worthy and special and unique about you i think that was a big part of it and then there's this that sense of um collective energy like wanting to take care of one another is very much rooted in this belief that we're all one we're all connected and so the the activist spirit was the idea that if we're all connected then we've got to do something about it we've got to stand up for people We've got to resist misogyny and, and fight back against anti-Black racism. We've got to lift people up if we're faced with poverty. That whole concept of, of connectedness, then channeling that connection to do something about it, the activism coming from that place of love, uh, that was a big part of it as well. And I think in that, it was a, a powerful mixture that created a really great um, environment to let amazing talent flourish. And there's a lot of people that came out of that space. I don't want to take too much credit, though. I was a supporter big time, and I was very much there supporting, but it was really my brother, Gratin Singh and Amit Singh, that were the, the main kind of champions of the space. And then a lot of other talented folks, like Kay Ray became a big part of it, uh, was very active. Uh, lots of amazing people really took over that space and, and helped nurture and support each other. But I was definitely there in a supportive role. Uh, I just don't want to take more credit than, than is due. Definitely. And thank you for sharing that. And when I think of how we come together and what it's like to create communities of like-minded people to support us as we go forth with big ambitious dreams, goals, plans, what advice do you have for people who are building those communities for themselves, who are trying to find those like-minded people, who are trying to root into themselves um, so that they can feel supported as they move towards their big goals and dreams? What advice do you have for those early community organizers? Uh, that, that you definitely need each other. We, you can't do, like, I don't, I'm not a self-made person. Uh, a lot of these amazing people that, you're, that you mentioned, they'll all tell you that they're not self-made. We, 
supported each other. Lots of other people supported uh, those great folks and supported me. And so I think just acknowledging it's okay to, to need community around you. Like to need a, a group of friends and family and supporters and people that believe in the same vision. We need that where we are, we are people that are inherently connected to one another and we need each other to move ahead. And so I think it's okay to take a moment and say, hey, it's okay to realize you can't do it alone. And, th and that's, in fact, it's actually more beautiful when you do it with the people around you and you bring people together. So uh, acknowledge the strength in, in relying on one another. And, and uh, just, you know, sometimes there's challenges, there's obstacles, there's barriers, just to, there's this concept, Jardikala, resilience in the face of, of challenges, the idea of, of eternal optimism in the face of hopeless odds, like that, that spirit of, you know, we're gonna keep on going. I think you need that as an organizer, as a community organizer, it's important because there's a lot of tough things in front of people. We gotta keep on pushing through. Mm. And something that, um, when we talk about this concept of resilience, um, so many of us who are tuned in have faced insurmountable odds in our lives very hard things that we've come through. And something that I was so taken by was in your memoir, you share some very hard things. Um, you shared your experience of sexual abuse as a child, um, your experience with um, alcoholism and abuse in your household. And I know that those topics are deeply resonant for a lot of people. And we don't often see our political leaders speaking up about these truths in their lives or experiences. What inspired you to share it so candidly and what has the impact been since you have publicly shared these stories uh thanks it's always i feel like it's an opportunity to kind of heal again and again every time i talk about this uh so on a personal note when you kind of share your story there's a lot of healing that goes on that, that in my case i didn't really think about i didn't think about how much a lot of these things uh still kind of even though i'm i'm, I'm you know in some ways i would say i'm maybe successful and uh, and I've, I've gone past a lot of those dark times, but uh, there are still a lot of pains. And so writing the book was in a lot of ways healing for me to kind of think about those moments and to reconcile them a bit and to, to move past them. Um, I was given an opportunity right after leadership. I was approached that you know, people might be interested in hearing my story. And as a, a leader of a political party, often political leaders write, write a book. And so what my inspiration was is that if I'm going to have this platform, I'm going to write a book. You know, a lot of times political leaders write a book that's kind of like a kind of campaign slogan book and it just goes towards the campaign, but it doesn't really give any value to people. But I've got this platform, I'll have an audience. What can I do that's gonna help people out? What can I do that can actually have a meaningful impact on the lives of people? And, and I thought about some of the experience that I've been through and I thought about how, how alone I felt when I was dealing with the, the alcoholism and violence in my family and how difficult that was. Um, being a survivor of sexual violence and abuse, you, you don't think sometimes that you deserve happiness in your own life. Sometimes you feel like you were to blame. And so maybe me writing the book would be a chance to speak to a little Jigmeet growing up or a little Romo growing up that, you know, it is not your fault. You're, there's nothing wrong with you. You deserve happiness and love and success you don't need to be hurt in your life and so if i have a chance to use this platform that's been given to me it's a huge honor how can i use it in a meaningful way and that was kind of my inspiration what could i share with people that might people make make people feel less alone and also make them feel like they 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 can hear certain things that maybe i would have loved to have heard when i was younger that it wasn't my fault and 
that it, that you deserve to be happy and things that now I believe, but you know, a younger me would have benefited from if I would have been told that. Hmm. And what's the impact been? Like, what's what have you received from doing that? Oh, it's been it's been incredible. The outpouring of support, uh, the love, uh, the shared kindred, the, the the kindred feeling that people have also been through this before. I think there's been a really for me it's been really um, in a lot of ways gratifying that that I've been able to help people that have been through similar things. And so uh, it was painful too. I think I should also admit like every all beautiful things aren't always without their cost. There was a, there was a pain to it as well. It was a difficult conversation with my family to make the decision to share these stories because I, I don't live in a vacuum. I obviously have a family around me and it's, it was going to expose things that, that uh, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of shame and guilt about talking about what people have been through. So it was healing, it was painful. And the result was, uh, I think I've helped out some people in some ways. And, and that to me has been a, a great blessing. I think more than a few people. I think it's safe to say that. Um, when you are, actually, I'll use this as an opportunity. One of the quotes in the book is, sometimes loving someone, even yourself, takes a lot of courage. There isn't a single moment when I realize that. Rather, it was a lesson I learned and relearned my entire life, sometimes the hard way. And so when you're facing being the first in so many ways, the first turbaned MP to, or MPP to be brought into the Ontario Legislative Assembly, the first person of color to be elected to a federal party, that experience with self-trust and self-love is ever evolving. We know you don't land at truly loving yourself forever and ever. Like you're going to face imposter syndrome. You're gonna face self-doubt. Mm -hmm. How do you take care of yourself through those waves of adversity and the inner turmoil that come when you are at the forefront and trailblazing in the way that you are? You know, it, that's a, such a powerful question and thank you for asking it. It, it. it is not something that happens once and then it's done. It's not one and done. It's, it is a lifelong process. Uh, I have daily practices where, where I, like I meditate, I connect and I, and I you know, take that moment to kind of mentally and spiritually hug myself. I think it's important. Um, even, even when you allow yourself to have fun, like giving yourself is no, is no matter how difficult your life is and how many burdens you have, the idea of having joy in your life, like happiness and joy and fun is a way of saying, hey, you matter and you deserve to be happy. And so finding that time to do some of the things that make you feel joy. Uh, so I have a, I have a pretty, and in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a hippie where I don't really have a lot of um, strict rules to my daily regimen, but I realized I do have a lot of practices like eating well and eating healthy and, and being outdoors and exercising, meditating, and reflecting on that connection. These are all things that help me. Um, my, my spirituality is a big part of what helps me continue to go on that process of continuing loving myself so that I can love the people around me and try to make a difference in the world. So I think it's that daily practice. Um, and, and then the imposter syndrome and sometimes the, the challenges. I think what we have to do, this is a really tough thing to do, that there, there's kind of two, there's two audiences. There are trolls that their only goal is just to hate on you and to bring you down. And if someone's gonna go out of their way in their life to just say negative things about you, to bring you down, to attack you, they probably have bigger problems in their life. If, if that is their goal in life is to go out of their way, find something you said and just attack you personally, it is not about you. They probably have some of their own problems if that is what they're doing in their life. So to filter out all of that, to just really say like there is that is not about me. That is their own issues, their own problems. 
but then also to be really honest about the people you do trust and, and hearing their feedback so you can kind of parse the two audiences. The one that is just out to hurt you, but it's not personal, they're just hurting themselves and they just lash out at others. And then the people who care about you and listening to them so that you're improving because you've got to improve. And sometimes that means taking some criticism and getting some feedback, but really finding the space between the two that there's some stuff that's just hate, ignore it. And then there's some really, there's really productive and constructive feedback that you should use to try to improve and get better. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes hard to find that line, but I yeah, find that we support our, go ahead. No, no, and finding the line, which one is it? Like, is it this or that? And like, but have, being surrounded by those folks who keep you accountable and that you know you can trust is always like that guide of like, okay, yeah, here's that line. <laughs> this is where yeah. I need to spend my time thinking about. Yeah. So you mentioned joy. And I know that within like political establishments, there are certain things that are like scoffed at or just like belittled. And being in Ottawa, I'm surrounded by folks in the political realm. Um, and one of them is, I remember when you first started on TikTok, there was folks who were just like writing it off and being like, what is, why, what is happening? But what we've come to see in the last two months alone is not only that Gen Z is so politically active and activist minded, but that TikTok as a platform is actually like, it is the language of the future in a lot of ways in terms of how this next generation is communicating with each other, how activist movements are maybe finding roots or ways like when we're looking at Gen Z and how they um, inundated the Trump rally in, in uh, Oklahoma. Um, but when you look at engaging with the younger generation, why is that a priority for you? And what are you seeing that it, you are being encouraged by in terms of what Gen Z and younger are doing right now? Uh, I, there's a lot of hope. I mean, for, for a group of people, for a generation of people that right now are facing such incredible hurdles, like every, this is the first time that the next generation is worse off than the previous. And there's less opportunities, less chance to get ahead. And despite that, the fact that people care so much and, and are fighting back so much, I think there's also a lot of hope in the sense that they're, they're seeing the flaws in our existing system. They're seeing that the, the kind of the American dream, this notion that if you work hard, you succeed is flawed. You know, those who have massive amounts of wealth, sure, it applies to them. But for most people, it doesn't actually apply. They're stuck in a cycle of, of poverty or a cycle of, of struggle. And so there's a, an appetite to say, well, let's not keep on doing that then. If that's not going to allow us to get ahead and build a good life for ourselves, let's not go down that same path. Let's try a new thing out. So I'm excited by that. I think that's really encouraging. Uh, I, I'm encouraged by the power of young people to a lot of movements and, and change has happened because young people have brought in that injection of passion and compassion combined that creates a really powerful mixture to, to make some change. And, and I'm, I'm seeing that and it's powerful. So for me, I don't really, I don't really particularly care about the platform. I just think of it as a way to speak to people. The same way when I'm meeting with communities, I'll go to a local coffee shop and chat with people in those communities because that's where people hang out. Or I'll go door to door to meet people where they live at their homes. People hang out on these social platforms, whatever they may be in the future. I always want to find a way to understand the platform so I can speak to the people where they are. I want to speak to people wherever they are and if that means doing TikTok, I'm game. And and there's there's not I'm not again I'm not attached to the platform, but I do love the the challenge of finding ways to connect with people. For me, that's one of the most beautiful things of being a human is finding connections and finding a way to speak to somebody over a bit of a gap. And over a gap of distance with social media can kind of shorten that gap. 
um, sometimes different lifestyles and cultures and backgrounds, finding ways to bridge those gaps, I think, I think is beautiful. Absolutely. As we start wrapping up a little bit our conversation, I got a lot of questions from folks who are young BIPOC people, Black, Indigenous peoples, people of color, um, who are curious about running for politics, but feel really um, hesitant, worried, concerned about the racism, about um, the hate that could come in, and also just about the barriers to entry in terms of funding, in terms of just feeling like you belong in that space. And I think you're helping a lot of us see ourselves in politics. Um, and fortunately, uh, Canadian, there is more diversity coming into Canadian politics. But we saw this wave really take off in the States. Um, and this last round of elections really bringing in a lot of um, activist rooted, powerful, young people of color. How, what do you have in terms of words of encouragement for young folks who are looking to enter politics, especially uh, BIPOC people? Um, what, what would you say to us? Do it. Just do it. Don't even hesitate. Uh, it's going to be tough, of course. It's not, it's not a space, a space that's been designed for, for hundreds of years for older white men. So naturally, it's not going to be something that feels like you belong. It, it, is, it has been designed not to make people who look like us belong. So that, that is a truth. But, but it's so necessary for people to be involved and, and for people to take that, that leap. Um, the people that represent our country should look like the country. There's no question about that. And one of the biggest problems is that there, is not, there are not enough women elected in, in federal politics. And I think it's also been by design. It's been designed in a way where it's not supportive to, to young women who want to start a family. It's not designed in a way that's conducive to women in general. So I think uh, we have to fight back against that. So as a leader, I've, I've said to potential candidates, we said, oh, I'm, I'm thinking of starting a family and it's not really easy to have a family and, and get into politics. I'm like, hey, listen, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make your life more, like to make your schedule more flexible. If it means you want to be in Ottawa less, I'll find a way for you to be here less, but we need you. Like if we don't, if I don't make those types of accommodations, if we don't think about different ways of, of making sure young, uh, racialized women are feeling comfortable running, then it's always going to be older white men that represent Canada. And that is not the face of Canada. That is one of the faces, sure, but it's not the face of Canada. It doesn't represent all of Canada. And, and so I, I'm trying to make as much as I can as leader more space. And I think you've got to, like, I think that's how you organize. You create a space and then something grows. And if you want to create, uh, sometimes you got to elbow your way in and make your own space. And so I would encourage people to do it. We need you. We need you. And also, Sometimes people think if they've organized in one community, you know, someone who's organized in the black community, that that might be used against them or that you only care about issues that impact, you know, the black community. No, because you've got a history and experience of fighting for a community, you are really well suited to fighting for everybody that represents a riding. It is actually a strength and an asset that you've represented, you know, some marginalized group in the past or organized with that group. So. Uh, don't let that be a deterrent at all. Don't let that hold you back. Just go for it. Incredible. And so as you look forward, we are in a COVID era. We are facing civil unrest that continues, rightfully so, as we work against anti-Black and Indigenous racism. Um, what gives you, continues to give you hope at this time? What continues to motivate you every day as you show up for the hard work of being leader of the opposition? <laughs> People, people give me hope. I see incredible people and I see their, their hopes in their lives and I, and I wanna make those hopes turn into realities. And I see sometimes their despair and their pain. 
and I, and I want to make things better. So people have always been the motivation behind what we've done, what I've done in my life in terms of activism. And then as a, as a leader and as a leader of the NDP, it's, it's been people, it's all about people. And, and that's going to continue to be my motivation. Thank you so much, Jagmeet. When we first and last met, it was at the PCHS um, uh, gala. I was trying yes. to figure that out when it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I had said in my speech that what we survived, we are meant to share. And I remember you sharing with me after that there was something you were working on and it resonated deeply and then the memoir came out. And so that's something I will remember for a long time. Yes. Um, but thank you so much, Jagmeet, for your time, for sharing your resilience with all of us, and for speaking up and out on behalf of BIPOC folks in this country. Um, I do think that what the way that you are showing up with your activist roots, with your heritage intact, with, rooted in your identity, requires more amplification. And I think traditional media in this country, the establishment in and of itself within politics, is rooted in these principles of white supremacy, as we know. And so the dismantling continues. And so thank you for heading that charge for all of us. And there's so much work to be done, but we're all out here and there's an army of us. So thank you so much, Jagmeet. Thank you. You know, I shouldn't be surprised because of your amazing speech at that event, but this is a beautiful interview. Thank you so much. Uh, was thank really you, Jagmeet. Thank you. Have the best night. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into that interview. I was blown away by how much we covered in 30 minutes, how willing to go there Jugmeet was with me to, on so many topics that we covered, from inclusivity in politics to him facing and naming and speaking his truth in his memoir around his experience with childhood sex abuse, around his experience growing up in an alcoholic household. And those are things that within the Punjabi, within the Indian community, there can be a lot of stigma and shame around. So it's no small feat what Jugmeet has done in speaking his truth in such a powerful and profound way. And I was so floored and taken by that conversation. And I'm so excited for so many more with him and others in the future. Uh, we're going to be bringing more of our Lessons in Resilience episodes to the show. So stay tuned for more of those interviews. But in the meantime, if you want to check them out, you can head over to my Instagram at Gomal Minhas, K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S for more. So this week, I would love for you to reflect on impact that your own identity, who you are, where you come from, what makes you you, the impact of your identity on how you show up in the world. What are the values that you're anchored in? What are the things that you were taught perhaps from your parents, caretakers, or taught not to do just by seeing how they lived? What are the things that make you who you are and proud of who you are? Journal about it, write about it, root into it. When we're rooted in our identity, our impact in this world can be that much more immense. And for those of us who are BIPOC folks, Black Indigenous peoples, people of color, we have often been made to feel that we can't root into our identity, that there's something wrong with our identity. But it's time to reclaim that. It's time to re-root into who we are, to remember where we came from. And if those things are hard and not actually helpful to us, then to create an identity that we're proud of now, based on the values that we hold now. One more thing, sign up for the next right step. If you want to be part of cohort one, head over to komal.com slash pages slash masterclass and join me in five weeks of trainings around the roots of resilience alongside four incredible speakers who I shared about at the top of the episode. Lavia Jai Jones, Valerie Kaur, Mina B, Deepika Mutiala, 
my dream lineup of folks that I wish I could be learning from. But instead, I'm bringing the program to you. So sign up for the next right step and be part of the inaugural cohort, Cohort One. Now, until next time. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Komal, check me out on Instagram at K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S or the show at LessonsLearned.co. And if you have an idea of a lesson that we should dive into on the show, then slide into our DMs and submit there or on the website along with any guests you think I should interview and talk all of the things with. As always, I hope that you make some time for you this week and reflect on the lessons you're learning or have learned and take some time to celebrate all the incredible that is you. Until next time, guys. Bye.